When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Previously on Car Stuff. Sorry, I'm kidding. Welcome to part two of our show on this Citroen. That's a that's a callback from the uh, from the Lost episode, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, I'm Ben. I'm Scott. And uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Previously, we did actually leave off on uh, a brief list of some of the innovations of this automaker. And uh, in terms of chronology, we're right there in the 30s. Our story, I believe, is picking up uh, with the traction of Ant, right? Yeah, that's right. We're, uh, we're going to pick up in 1934. Um, if you haven't listened to the, the earlier episode, please do, because we walk you through uh, from the very beginning all the way through 1934. So, yeah. so here we are in 1934, and uh, this brand new model comes out from, from Citroën. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, the variant pronunciations, right? <laughs> um, they work with the uh, Bud Company to uh, build the Avant, right? Which we mentioned in previous correct. Podcasts. Yeah, part of the body was uh, was built mm-hmm. uh, with with Bud Company, I believe. And uh, there were some other revolutionary features that that are still in use today on on automobiles right now that uh, that came from this vehicle. Um, it used a unibody design with uh, with no separate frame, which is pretty unique for the yeah. time. I don't yeah. know. I can't say that that's the first. I mean, I, I can say that it was uh, it was close to it, but I don't know if it was the first. No, it's tricky. I I was looking into that. I don't think we can say it was the first. Also, front wheel independent suspension, mm-hmm. um, and also front wheel drive. Now, I can say that that is the first as far as front wheel drive goes, because uh, the notes that I have here say that it is the the world's first mass produced front wheel drive car. Now, I mean, that is a little bit qualified, right? I mean, it's yeah. a, the world's first mass produced. So there's probably smaller vehicles that were doing this at the time. Um, but but a lot of advances on that 1934 model that uh, uh, you just wouldn't expect at that time. Uh, Scott, we should also point out that uh, in our previous episode, we talked about the car maker working with a bank called Lazard, right? Yeah, that's right. And we see that there is this constant 
search for financial partnership, right? Mm-hmm. And this happens again with uh, Michelin, the tire company. They start uh, financially assisting Citroen as they're producing, again, these low-priced cars that are incurring losses. Yeah, that's right. And in December of 1934, I mean, the very year that they come out with this Traction Avant, which mm-hmm. is a... Uh, it's a great of, car. It's kind of a groundbreaking car, really. Yeah. I mean, with all the advances that it had. Um, they have to, I mean, despite the assistance of the Michelin company, as you mentioned, we are talking about Michelin from Michelin Tire. Right. Uh, despite their help from Michelin, uh, Citroen has to file for bankruptcy in 1934. And this means that uh, within the same month, Michelin, as the largest creditor of Citroen, becomes its principal shareholder. And uh, luckily for everybody involved, including Michelin, the Avant is selling like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. People people love it. Yeah, it was a good time to buy the company, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. it's too bad they couldn't have held on. But I wonder, I wonder if you know they hadn't been involved if it wouldn't have sold the way that it did. I just don't... I don't know how to look at that. I mean, looking back, right. you can always kind of second-guess things. Like, would it have been okay on its own without Michelin intervention mm. or not? Probably not. Probably I mean, not. I'm going to say probably not. I think they were at a bad spot here because it, and it must have been very, very stressful for the uh, for the founder because, um, oh, man, in 1935, just to, just one year after they filed for bankruptcy, uh, the founder of the company, Andre Citron, he died from stomach cancer. Yep. Terrible yep. ending. I mean, right here, right here in the middle of the story, too. Uh, because there is a long history for Citron, which he, I mean, unfortunately, him passing away in 1935, mm-hmm. he probably didn't know. I mean, he, he must have thought that this is kind of the end of the company, that, you know, things are dissolving and going away, which is unfortunate because there was so much more history to be made mm-hmm. for Citron. We need to introduce a new character to the story. Shortly before uh, Andre himself dies, a man uh, named Pierre Jules uh, Boulanger, Belanger, uh, becomes the vice president of the company under Michelin, and he's chief of the engineering and design department. There, There's a great story about this guy. All right, so Pierre Jules had been a First World War air reconnaissance photographer with the French Air Force, mm-hmm. right? And he was good at it. He became captain. He was awarded the Military Cross, Legion of Honor, starts working for Michelin in 1918, uh, eventually born, joins the board in 22. Um, and then he moves on from the VP position to become president of Citroen in 1937. Uh, so he's, he's moving up pretty well. Here's the story that I think, uh, listeners will enjoy. So the German occupation of France in World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Jules refuses to meet with Ferdinand Porsche, uh, or communicate with any German authorities except through intermediaries, right? Bold move. Bold move. Dangerous move too. And, uh, at the time they're supposed to produce trucks for the, the, uh, Wehrmacht, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And so he puts a, uh, he puts a policy in place called go slow. So they start dragging their feet, building these trucks for the Germans and the ones they do build, quite a few of them are sabotaged in the factory. Uh, what they did was they put the notch in the oil dipstick on the wrong in, in the wrong place like on the stick too low on the stick. yeah 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 so this is this is really devious i did read about this i mean okay so they're building engines and they put the notch on the dipstick like you said too low so that when the germans believe that they've got a uh, a full load of, of oil and they might be I mean, running dry exactly right and they're just destroying the engines mm-hmm. left and right and not understanding what's going on because it, we check the oil level it's fine and so i think that is so clever like that's such a smart way 
to give people enough rope to hang themselves. Yeah, it know? is. I mean, and the, the work slowdown thing, I mean, we've heard of other, you know, companies doing sure, stuff like yeah, that. But, yeah. uh, but man, this guy was really pushing it at this time. I mean, think about, you know, exactly what was going on at that, at that period mm-hmm. of time. That was a dangerous, dangerous move. And he's in, he is in danger, uh, clear and present. We know this because in 1944, toward the close, uh, the Gestapo headquarters in Paris was sacked by French resistance and they found Pierre Jules Boulanger's name on, or Boulanger's name on a Nazi blacklist. Oh boy. A, a serious, like, um, I, I know we're a family show, so let me call it this, a real life poop list. Yeah, that is. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than being on a, uh, on a Nazi blacklist. Yeah, it's like, an enemies of the Reich. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's on there to be arrested uh, in the event of an allied invasion. So, okay, so there's this pause in production, right? Because yep. they're, they're building, uh, implements of war at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's a pause in production for World War II, but this is un, this is amazing. That pause allowed them to make considerable breakthroughs in their automotive design and 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 I guess uh, technology because they the were time. working in secret. Exactly right. They were working in secret, which again against the express orders of the of the Germans. The Germans said, "Do not do this," and they continued to work mm-hmm. kind of under the cover of darkness. And over the period of, you know, while the war was happening, they developed concepts that were later brought to market in three different, uh, what they say are, are remarkable vehicles. One was the small, a small car, which was a 2CV. We mentioned that early on, I think. Yeah. A delivery van, which would have been critical post-war, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, called the Type H. And then a large, swift family car, as they say, a swift family car like that. This was the DS model, which we'll talk about in, in detail in just a little while, or some detail anyways, but... Um, these are regarded, you know, like by the, the contemporary journalists as kind of avant-garde or even radical solutions to automotive design at the time. You got to think that, you know, these were, I don't know, these are kind of almost experimental ideas, you know, when, yeah. at the time. I mean, there was, was something they said, there's no way they're going to come to production with these things. These are too far advanced for, for right now. We can't do this in the mid-1940s. Right. And they had some specific aims. One thing that was really cool about the 2CV which is named because it was it signified two fiscal horsepower, um, around twelve horsepower in nineteen forty eight. Um, what they wanted to do with this vehicle was to provide a motorized alternative to horses, mm-hmm. right, for the rural French uh, population. And lo and behold, it worked. Yeah, it definitely worked. And and what this did was it began to build this. Uh, well, they said it's a decades long. Um, period of, of brand loyalty. Yeah. People, the French people loved their Citrons and they said, you know, whatever you do to keep building them, uh, it was something kind of unusual that happened for this brand because it was normally reserved for the upper end luxury or sports models, right? I mean, right. Mercedes and, mm-hmm. and Porsche, Rolls Ferrari, Royce. Rolls Royce, et cetera. They've got brand loyalty built in just like those bigger brands do, but they're doing it on a, a much smaller scale and a, mm-hmm. and a, um, and a lower end vehicle. They just have people, just loving what they're doing, and that's really, really important. So the 2CV, yeah. then, this car is produced, believe it or not, from 1948 all the way through 1990. With relatively minor changes. It's a huge, huge run. Now, initially, it's a 12-horsepower engine. Yeah. I mean, very, very small. Right. It became a bestseller, obviously. I mean, they're not going to hang on to it if it wasn't, right? Um, but you said, you know, the whole thing about uh, providing rural French farmers with a way to get in out of town or just the alternative to the wagon, right? Yeah. Um, they sold something like eight and a mm-hmm. half million two mm-hmm. CV variants between 1948 and 1990. Eight and a half million of these things. 
I've, I've only seen now here in the United States. Mm-hmm. I, I've maybe seen a couple, but you know the one that I mentioned in Roswell, the one that occasionally comes out on the weekend. Right, it's, it's gray, of course. It seems like all of them are gray. The ones I've seen, um, and I may have seen one. I want to say maybe even at that microcar museum. Yeah, I've I haven't seen a two CV, but there are a couple Citroen around Buckhead. You know, oh, really? Yeah, I've seen a couple. No kidding. I, I had no idea. I mean, it was, uh, do you see the DS model? Mm, you know what? We should talk about the DS. Oh, uh, definitely. Yes, 1955. That's when we get the DS hitting the scene. And this reminds me of the listener mail we received that was talking about the self-leveling suspension. Yeah, Costa, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, the DS is the first full usage of this system. Now, Costa wasn't riding in a DS. It was... Um, a BX, I believe. Yeah, BX sixteen, I uh-huh. believe, was the uh, was the make and model of that one. But um, yeah, it's, it it had the same type of uh, suspension system as the DS had, and we'll get to that, I promise, because there's some, there's some good notes about this. But a few other things I want to tell you about it because it had a really unique design. Remember how we mentioned this? This was considered avant garde by a lot of people, or mm-hmm. a very radical design, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this this vehicle was designed by a renowned automotive designer in France at the time. I, I, Sounds like more of a uh, an Italian name to me, really. Uh, Flamino Bertoni. Flamino. Yeah, that's that's Italian. It's got to be Italian, <laughs> right? Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. All right. So um, the, the design was available in sedan, wagon, mm-hmm. estate, or even convertible body configuration. Um, but it's known for its uh, like aerodynamic, futuristic body. And a lot of innovative technology. Oh, sure. This yeah. This, uh, you mentioned the first, uh, 
European production car with disc brakes mm-hmm. in part one of our podcast. That is the DS. Yeah, that's right. And from about 1968 on, it had directional headlights, which we've talked about in mm-hmm. another podcast. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, the kind that turn with the vehicle, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like the Tucker did in 48. And yeah, the, the uh, Tucker's Cyclops headlight and the turns. Tatra, which we have to keep mentioning. <laughs> from ni- 1935, because that was the first one. It's just, the, it's so weird. Yeah, this, and it had this, uh, this hydro pneumatic self-leveling suspension, which mm-hmm. is maybe the biggest deal on this whole car. Really, I mean, this is, yeah. this is the one thing that really made news, and, and a lot of people really, really enjoyed this. They called this the magic carpet ride. Now, can right. we can we spend a little bit of time on this? Definitely. This is a car. This this whole car is a car that's way, way ahead of its time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so far advanced compared to other vehicles that you know other manufacturers begin to buy up the rights to use some of this technology on their vehicles, and it's models that you wouldn't you wouldn't guess would buy stuff from. A, a little, I'm going to say little in air quotes, a sure. little French auto company. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, the hydro pneumatic suspension, you may think that's uh, it's kind of a, a fancy way of saying uh, that, you know, it has a, um, what, an oil and air suspension, right? That's just a fancy way of saying it has an oil and air suspension, Scott. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> didn't expect that. All right, so um, I think there's actually a different way to put it in French. I think it's oil pneumatic or something like that. Mm. But the oil and air is really the way it was. And when we say oil, we mean hydraulic oil, and by air, we mean pressurized gas, which is actually nitrogen in this case. Right, so, yeah. So it's oil and nitrogen, and it gets this reputation as being like a um, a very finicky system. Not finicky, but more um, specialized, I guess. Sure. And that you have to go to a Citron dealer in order to have them work on the thing. And that may be true because there were special tools, but uh, there were some workarounds, as we'll get to in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the purpose of the system is to provide a what they call a sensitive or dynamic high-capacity suspension system that offered superior ride quality, and they called it the Magic Carpet Ride. And mm-hmm. a lot of people will refer to it as this, the Magic Carpet Ride. You can imagine how soft and smooth this thing is to ride in, although it is also tough enough to withstand off-road conditions, a lot like what uh, Costa was mentioning in in the email earlier. Yeah, uh, and the DS also has power steering, power yeah. brakes, yeah. power suspension. These are some of the things that later get licensed out to different car makers. Can I just say one more thing yeah, about yeah. The, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the suspension? Yeah, the weird suspension. Because, yeah, there's all these other things that, that are get licensed out. But the thing that makes these unique is is that they've got these weird metal spheres inside. And the metal oh, spheres, yeah, yeah. Um, typically they're they're tied to each wheel. They're, they're around each wheel, but there's others as well as I'll talk about. But... Um, these metal spheres are filled with hydraulic fluid, that's the oil that we mentioned, and mm-hmm. uh, the pressurized gas, which is nitrogen, one for each wheel, and there's also a, a center sphere as well, um, just kind of for, for balancing. I, I can't even describe to you how this whole thing works without actually showing you, so I'm just telling you that there's more than four in most systems, and you can even get up to you know six or even as many as ten can be used on a single mm-hmm. vehicle. Um, and again, a lot of people perceive these as being complex, but... Um, they're not necessarily that way. A lot of modern automakers have used the same type of system um, in, a, in a different way. They're, they've tried to build on it in different ways, and it's not quite as as, uh, as smooth and as soft and as well-functioning as the original system was yeah. back in 1955. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was, it was so efficient and so well-loved that other manufacturers, other car manufacturers, began to buy this from them mm-hmm. to use it. I mean, Berliet Trucks. Uh, began to use this on their on their trucks, so, you know, like big big trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they partner with Maserati later, and Maserati uses a lot of that stuff. Yeah, Maserati does. Peugeot, of course, uh-huh. you know, and uh, get this, Rolls Royce mm-hmm. bought this system from them or licensed this system from them. 
And uh, and who else? Mercedes Benz, I think. Mercedes are currently using this system. Yeah, uh, that's, that's how um, advanced this thing was for 1955. You got to remember all that, right? So there's still automakers are still kind of trying to catch up to the combination of features that this. Uh, well, I'm going to say 1954 because I think it came out in the traction event first, mm-hmm. and then they perfected it and put it in the DS, and that's how that kind of played out. But there's still modern manufacturers are still trying to catch up to this 1954. Citron uh, suspension system. Yeah. Oh, I gotta. I've got to say one thing about the suspension system for anyone who hasn't experienced this before. The neat thing about it is that you can adjust the height from within the vehicle. Oh, uh, yes. Right. Remember, there's. It, it originally was a lever beside the driver's seat. Now it's replaced with an electronic switch. And what's neat about this is that you can adjust the height of the suspension. When you need to go over an obstacle, like a, a shallow stream, when you need to change a tire. A shallow stream? You're going to be fording streams in these? I guess, you know what, if it's used in other trucks and, and other vehicles, but I can't really see a DS going through a shallow stream. But no. There might be a case. I mean, th- these vehicles were pretty tough. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as Costa mentioned, uh, traveling across country, when you get near Mount Olympus in Greece, mm-hmm. you need that kind of suspension, right? Because you can adjust it up for the rough terrain, rugged terrain. It, you know what this reminds me of? What's that? The current um, hot rod vehicles that are using the bagged suspensions. Oh, yeah. It's exactly like that. I mean, it, it's not 100% like that, but it's close. Similar. It really is. It's mm-hmm. very similar. Like, you know, when a show car pulls into the lot and they lower themselves all yeah. the way down to the ground, and then, you know, when they're leaving, they, they pop it up a little bit so that they can get out of the parking lot and also drive. Because Which we saw at our caffeine and exotic show. We did. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there were some exotics that have a system like that because otherwise you're going to scrape you can't go over a, a speed bump. No, you're going to scrape every time you go up and down your driveway mm-hmm. or in and out of a mm-hmm. you know parking lot. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter how small the obstacle is. You're going to rub on that on that vehicle. Yeah, especially in those Atlanta roads. I imagine they're right about where rural France was back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. Oh man, yeah, we're going to get an email about that one. Uh, so let's. Okay, so we're talking about some of the innovations, but another thing we need to talk about is uh, Citroen's continual financial problems. Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know what? We can just kind of, let's let's jump ahead just a little bit here. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about the the, uh, the DS model around, mm. you know, roughly 1955. And that, I mean, with some minor changes here and there, that stayed the same until about 1975. Yeah. I mean, the, the model, really, it was working the way it was. They weren't going to mess with it, right? Mm-hmm. So about by the mid 1960s, um, you know, the company is facing some 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 serious problems. I mean, financial problems and just uh, just marketplace problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were trying to ad- address these two key problems within the company. And one was they had a lack of a midsize car, you know, between its in its own range between the very small cheap cars that they produced sure. for the two CV. And I think a model they called the AMI or the AMI. Mm-hmm. And also they had these large expensive cars, which were the DS, the ID models. And there's it, no Goldilocks zone. Exactly right. There's nothing in between. So in, in the way that this article put it was that in terms, <laughs> in, in, in today's terms, yeah. it'd be like if, if one brand was building a Tata Nano mm-hmm. and a Mercedes Benz E class, but nothing in between. It's like one or the other and that's it. That's all we sell. And the Nano, for anyone who is as fascinated with this vehicle as I am, uh, the Nano is something we've checked out in an earlier podcast. It is the world's cheapest Production car and oh brother, does it show? Yeah, we're not even going to say inexpensive. We're going to go ahead and call that one cheapest. Cheapest. Yeah, because that is the world's cheapest car. Um, all right. So, and and you know what? They actually solved that problem by bringing in the Renault 16 
somewhere in the middle of the 1960s. But, right. Um, it was a it was a problem that they had early on. The mm. second problem, and this is uh, this is going to lead to a sidebar. Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the bigger ones we alluded to in the first episode. Yeah, this th- there's a a severe constraint restricted upon this company by by the uh, the French government, mm-hmm. and it's in the form of a French. It's called it's called the French tax horsepower system. So the way it works is this is a tax that goes to automakers, not to auto buyers. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a business tax, and the companies that manufacture uh, engines are required to pay a fine after they go over a certain threshold of horsepower. Yeah, this is so weird. Okay, so so horsepower in France, along with a lot of other European countries, mm-hmm. is taxable. And at first, I mean, this kind of worked at first because it was it was equal. Mm. And I know that, you know, they didn't like it, obviously, but, right. but it kind of worked in the way that they did it because they based it on a mathematical calculation uh, based on the cylinder dimensions at the time. You know, what the horsepower that the vehicle should be putting out based on the information that you're providing us that, that you know, on the engine that you're putting in the vehicle. Yeah, but the problem is that they don't update this yeah. in, in step with technology. And the end result is that uh, – these cars look underpowered outside of France. People are like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And the thing is, okay. So, so, you know, as the years progress, as you mentioned, okay, so that, that's one issue. Mm-hmm. The other issue is that, uh, you know, and it kind of works out well for the manufacturers in this case is that, well, you know, they're based on these calculations, but engines are getting so much better, so much faster yeah. that now, uh, these calculations can be, can be off by as much as 10 times mm-hmm. what they initially were. So yeah. they were being taxed on a much lower level. Uh, than what they should have been taxed on. So let's say that that uh, I don't know that uh, you know inline four engine that was taxed at a certain rate is now putting out four times the horsepower that it did 15 years ago. Right, with just a few tweaks. Yeah, just a few. Yeah, exactly. Better machining, you know, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be, uh, the manufacturer ends up on the good end of that. But you know, there there's this all this back and forth about this uh, this this um this French tax horsepower system, and uh, that'll come up later as well. But I thought it was an interesting thing because a lot of the um, Listeners here in the United States, they don't even know about this. They don't know yeah. that there is a tax uh, tax horsepower the system I- in place. The idea sounds crazy. You know, why why should I have to pay more for a you know sixty horsepower vehicle versus a forty? Yeah, strange. but that's how it works. It's just strange. And so- it was so effective that that's the part we need to really hit. It was so effective that it became a de facto mandate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in about 1963, so we're still in the mid 1960s. Right. Uh, Citroen actually negotiates with Peugeot, which will come up later, mm-hmm. uh, for the purchase of raw materials, like to cooperate in the purchase of raw materials. They're going to try to to pool their resources: steel, aluminum, rubber, things like that. Yeah, whatever they need to build a car, right? And mm-hmm. they decide that uh, it's just not going to work out at this time, and they eventually break off talks about 1965, but. It's kind of a little bit of foreshadowing about what might go on between the two. Right. They also, in 64, were involved in the development of the Wankel engine. Yeah, that's so strange, isn't it? Now, the, mm-hmm. the part of the development of the Wankel, because they, so they partner with NSU and they develop this Wankel engine uh, with uh, with another company called um, Comobile, which I think they called Comotor mm-hmm. eventually, which is another subsidiary. And um, this is weird. This is kind of a, um, a technologi- technological end run around the French tax horsepower system that we just mentioned. Yeah, they're trying to circumvent the law by making a uh, car that packs more punch. Yeah, smaller engine, more horsepower, right? That's yeah, the idea. One liter engine, a, a standard uh, one liter engine in this case would deliver 55 horsepower. But Scott, how much did this uh, 
first production car of theirs to deliver. The, uh, the Wankel engine? Mm-hmm. 106 horsepower from the same one-liter engine, or same size engine. I right, say. crazy. That's, it's a totally different engine, and that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's the workaround, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so that's uh, so they've got that working for them at this point. Uh, but then in 1965, um, boy, they must be doing all right, Ben, because Citroën takes over the French car maker Panhard, mm-hmm. um, hoping to gain experience in that area that they didn't have before, the mid-size vehicle. Right, and they also take advantage of Panhard's existing sales network mm-hmm. because when when Citroen was bringing new cars to the market, often they were underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. That's there's just no way around that. Yeah, and, sure. And uh, they had been working with Panhard for more than a decade um, with the sales networks and a couple of other things. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Uh, eventually, though, um, just a couple years after they take over this car maker, uh, Panard stops creating vehicles. 67, yeah. I think, they're yeah. out of the business. Yeah, 1967, Panhard is done. And in 1967, Citroen purchases the truck manufacturer, Berliette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, we had mentioned earlier, along with uh, Maserati. And when they worked with Maserati, their first production car from that partnership uh, got 168 horsepower with a 2.7 liter engine. So again, you can see that they're trying to work around that, that French tax horsepower system. And it's working in this case, but they're doing it with the Maserati engine. And, you know, when they pair up with Maserati, there's some interesting things that happen there as well. Um, the, uh, the 1970 Grand Tour SM model. Yeah. Featured a V6 Maserati engine and it was a, and also had kind of an unusual, uh, self-centering steering system because they're, you know, continually mm-hmm. updating technology. I mean, the, you're talking about the Duravi. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. The Duravi. I think that's how you say it. Um, but the SM was engineered as if it were replacing the DS, but it didn't do that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the DS hung on for, uh, well, it looks like another at least seven years after that. Yeah, no kidding. Now, from from the looks of things, as we approach the 70s, uh, Citroen's doing pretty well, right? Yeah, doing pretty well. They, they look like they're in an okay yeah, spot. Restructuring. So. Right. They've they've uh, restructured their worldwide operations. Remember, Michelin at this point is their biggest controlling shareholder and they sell a 49 percent stake to Fiat. Yes. And so uh, now we've got some more investors there. Things are going well. They finally come out with, you know, the GS, as we mentioned, which uh, hits that Goldilocks zone for them. And they sell two point five million GS units. Uh producing, you know, 600,000 something in 1972. Um, this puts them in second place among French automakers when ranked in volume of units. However, uh, this, this surge, this shining moment was not to last. Yeah. And that's due to the, uh, the energy crisis that hit around 1973. And, uh, oh man, this is, uh, this is pretty bad because, uh, they've got, remember they've got ties with, uh, Comotor and mm-hmm. Maserati, and they all have the same problem with, as Citron. They all have high fuel consumption engines. Right, cause and, they can get great performance, but those are thirsty beasts. Yes, they are, and, and I guess Citron was as well. Uh, so 1973 was kind of a big financial blow to them. And in 1974. Mm-hmm. It gets worse. Yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty bad. This is bad for us here in North America. This is actually, this is the main reason why you don't see more Citroën. Yeah, that's exactly right, Ben. In 1974, Citroën withdrew from North America owing to design regulations that outlawed core features of Citroën cars. So. Red tape. Yep. I'm shaking my fist in the <laughs> air. It. Yeah, there was definitely some red tape there. And, uh, and I think that, you know, a couple of the features that, uh, that I saw pointed out as, as, you know, the reasons why they couldn't sell here anymore were things like their headlight system or their fenders uh, that were no longer valid, you know, in the mid-1970s here in the States, uh, but they would pass EU standards. Ugh, what so, a hassle. Yeah, I mean, there's always trouble going back and forth between, uh, you know, U.S. and EU safety standards. There's always, you know, some con- conflicting information there. So right? You can build it for yeah. one market, but it just doesn't work for the other. So what this means is that one of the biggest car mine markets in the world is off-limits unless Citroen does some major retooling. This is compounded by uh, the failure of the co-motor rotary engine, and then uh, they went, uh, you know, they, they went for almost two decades for like 15 years without a midsize model. And that leaves a big gap. There's a, there's a ripple effect there that continues. You yes, know? definitely. And, uh, and I think that, you know, without having this car in the, what they call the profitable mid range right. in, the, in the European market, I mean, they, they, they realize that, well, it's just not going to work out they They've, they're not structured the right way to keep operating this way. They, they have to file for bankruptcy again in 1974. Yep. And, you know, a lot of, you can point to a lot of things here. I mean, one thing was that, you know, they were working on, on, on projects. They were always doing that. They had massive development costs, however, right. for the ones that they were producing, like the GS or uh, the GS bi-rotor vehicle, the CX, the SM, Maserati cars. I mean, there were three of those. Um, and, and they said that, you know, each one of those cars, I mean, it was pointed out that each one of those cars is kind of like a technological marvel. Oh, yeah. In its own way. Oh, yeah. The problem with that is they're so darn expensive to develop mm-hmm. and, and to produce. And, and to buy, uh, really. And to get them out there to the market and have people really want them and buy them at enough volume to make it work for them, uh, it just it just wasn't working out. So 1974, they're bankrupt again. So we're talking, yeah. uh, the first one was, what, what in 34? 
Now they're mm-hmm. bankrupt again in 1970. 40 years later. Yeah, yeah, 40 years later. So Fiat backs out of the deal in um, that they had in 68, right? So yeah. in 73, they back out. They return their 49% stake to Michelin. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to laundry list some of the different things that happened. Okay. Yeah, Cause good. this gets complicated. Yeah. So we'll go through it and correct me if I'm wrong. I'll try. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, so 1974, December, Peugeot acquires a 38.2% share of Citroen and then they increase their stake to 89. Here's a weird one. 89.95% of the company. Mm, just under 90%. Who was that holdout with 0.05%? <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. So that's in 1976, right? Uh, yeah, that's in 76 when they increase it to, uh, almost 90% and this creates, uh, the PSA group, uh, where it becomes PSA Peugeot Citroen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's uh, that's the current uh, model that we see right now, right? That's the current mm-hmm. company that we see out there. Right, but other the Citroen, stuff happened. Yeah, with the Citroen brand. Right, Citroen sold off Maserati in 75, um, and then they also sell Berlier to uh, Renault. Yeah, and that PSA adventure was a financial success all the way from, what, 1976 to about 1979. Yeah. And then something started to happen. I mean, they started to dilute the, uh, the, the Citroen brand. Right. Yeah. They wanted to rebrand it to appeal to a larger market, oh. which means, which means less bold choices in terms of style. I don't like this. I don't yeah, like this at I don't all. Like this it is, either. No, because I mean they're taking a, a brand that was uh, it was very iconic, you know, and they're and they're they're watering it down at this point. They're saying that um, the Citroen models have become increasingly Peugeot based at this point, right? And you know they're starting to follow this uh, this worldwide motor industry trend called platform sharing. I think we can all remember when that was going on. Platform yeah, yeah. sharing. Yeah, uh, we heard that in commercials everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, it's happening all over the world, really. Well, there but, are some definite economic advantages to platform sharing, but uh, it does come at a cost of uh, uniqueness. And you can kind of see that with some of these diluted Citroen models that we see from the Peugeot brand. Uh, if that's the way to say that, even I yeah. think uh, I think I'm mixing terms up there. Well, but. there's something else we should point out too, Scott. Another problem that happened. What's that? Uh, at the same time as this brand dilution is going on, all is not well internally. In the 80s, uh, Citroen's targeted by unions. Twenty-seven thousand employees are in a demonstration, and uh, they block access to the factory for weeks. Um, this uh, six days later, work at the plant resumes because the demonstration is successful. And uh, when you have that kind of first off, when you have that kind of work stoppage, you're losing millions of dollars. Twenty seven thousand employees stop working and then protest. That's a huge, huge mm-hmm. protest. Uh, I can't imagine what the management was thinking at that point. Uh, besides, we're screwed. Besides. Yeah. Besides, we're screwed. Yeah. yeah and- let's give, give them whatever they want. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but so despite these two problems, it seems like the Citroen story is often this exploration of really, really good stuff. Oh, really, really bad stuff. Yeah. When it rains, it pours yeah, exactly. over right. at Citroen. And I doubt they said give them what they want. That's I just, doubt uh, they, yeah. They may have been the initial knee-jerk reaction, but uh, but I bet that wasn't what they were saying at all. Now, Citroen did have some good news, though, because it started expanding around the world. That's exactly right. Yeah, and they've got factories, as a matter of fact, all over the world. If you want to... uh Look up a list of uh, factories that uh, that are owned and operated by this company. I mean, they're all over the place. There's a, of course, they're in France. They're in Brazil, Argentina, Portugal, Slovakia, Spain, Turkey. I mean, <laughs> everywhere. They're they're in China. They're in uh, they're in Italy, Japan, Russia. I mean, 
all over the world they're building these. So so this expansion is something that uh, is is long lasting. It's it's you know holding on to even now. Everywhere but North America. <laughs> That's exactly Everywhere right. Everywhere but I, the states. I wish they were here. I really do. I mean, I do I, too. We don't see enough of these on the road. I mean, I know that you know I'm a little bit nostalgic towards you know I like the old. DS models and sure. it's cool to see that two CV around town that was built until about what 1990. So mm-hmm. that may not be as old as I thought it was when I saw it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I would sure like to see a lot more Citrons here on the roads in the United States. Oh yeah, and I'd like to see some of them in some racing. Uh, I guess since we always like to end at a positive note, and we're we're winding down a little bit here. Even though Scott, you and I both have piles of notes. Uh, I, I feel like I'm halfway through my notes. I feel like I'm maybe halfway. Yeah, but uh, we're at the end of two parts, and I'm halfway through my <laughs> notes. That's uh, that's a bad sign. Well, maybe it's just a sign that this is a good story. It, so, it uh, is. we should, we should go ahead and point out that, uh, Citroen does have a, uh, prestigious race history. Mm-hmm. Uh, also has won numerous awards for car of the year, right? Yeah, uh, worldwide awards. So not just, uh, you know, we think, we, we here in the United States tend to think of just, you know, the, the, uh, the car of the year award that's awarded here. That's happening all over the world, and I think that you know our listeners elsewhere will say, "Well, of course it's happening all over the world." <laughs> but they've uh, they've won, you know, let's see, they've won three European Car of the Year awards. They've mm-hmm. won uh, three Car of the Year awards in Ireland since about 1978. Yeah, nine in Spain. Yeah, nine in Spain. That's in, in just the past 40 years since about 1974. Uh, they've also won eight Car of the Year awards in Italy, and that's just in the last 28 years since about 1987. Um, it's also the only automobile manufacturer to have won three different official championships from the International Automobile Federation, which is, uh, is that the FIA? I, I believe it's so. The FIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a weird way of saying the FIA. Well, because it's French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, um, uh, the world, they've won the World Rally Raid Championship. They've won the World Rally Championship and the World Touring Car Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another thing we should point out, and this is very interesting to me, Scott. Did you see this? That uh, the Citroen SM won Motor Trend Car of the Year in 1972, 1972. in the USA. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've got a photo of that 1972 Citroen SM uh-huh. in front of me right now. Yeah, and that vehicle was was completely different than anything on the road at the time. Yeah, it was definitely it was an innovation. And speaking of innovation and awards, uh, we should go ahead and mention that uh, the Citroen World Touring Car Team won 14 victories out of the 15 first races of the 2014 WTCC season. Uh, and this uh, this shows us that Citroen itself, while the owners may change, right, uh, Citroen itself is going to be around f- for a long time. They've just got so much influence and so Many things that are taken as standard on cars now, right? Mm-hmm. Disc brakes being exhibit A. So many of these things are common and come from Citroën. Hydro pneumatic suspensions, sure. which we see on on current Mercedes and mm-hmm. Rolls Royce mm-hmm. and Maseratis and and just high end vehicles. Um, it's just it's amazing the history of this company. And you would think that you know, well, here in the states when we we barely see any of them, you would think, well, that's kind of a quirky little French car, as uh, as <laughs> right. supposed to put it, right? Yeah, but. There's a lot more to it than that, and there's some really fascinating stuff that we still haven't even gotten to. Oh, yeah. And there's just not enough time, but uh, can I mention one last thing, maybe? Sure, yeah. All right, so do you remember when we were talking about the uh, the moose test recently? Uh-huh. Do you remember the car that was number one on that te- on that test list? It was a Citroen. It was a Citroen from a long time ago. Remember, it was a 1999 Citroen Xantia Activa V6. It still holds the record, right? It still has the record. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean... 
you got you got to remember it was so fast as we said because it had that con- uh, computer controlled active suspension system that uh, that was supposed to offer what they called F1 like cornering capability mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it really did i mean it's it's legendary system this this whole carpet ride system you will not hit a moose <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You will not hit a moose. And, you know, the thing is with, uh, you know, variable ride firmness and active control of body roll and all that was going on back in 1999, no one else was offering it. And it's still the top system. I mean, it, it tops a Porsche 997 GT3 RS, which comes in just behind it. And that's mm-hmm. from, what, 2008? Yeah. I mean, I know I've voiced my, uh, my, my, <laughs> surprise at this <laughs> at this list a long time ago sure. but uh, every time i look at that i can't believe that that 1999 citron is still at the top and here's another thing that we should point out we will hopefully be as happy as we were to learn that in 1998 andre citron himself was inducted posthumously of course into the automotive hall of fame there in dearborn michigan mm, not bad yes the the man the icon the institution citron uh, lives on past uh, past its founder. Getting his due. He's finally getting his due. I love a story like that. And, you know, maybe we should do a show just on the Auto Hall of Fame, man. That's a good one. Yeah, that could be that could be pretty long. Listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed our two-part episode on Citroen as much as we have, although you can tell Scott and I are both a little bit peeved that we didn't get to all the notes, you know? Yeah, there's so much. I still <sighs> have to look up if that designer was French or Italian. I'm I'm going to guess. I'm going to get, I, you know, the name sounds Italian. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to guess French, though. I'm going to go the other way with it. Really? You're yeah. going to double down? I, I think so. All right. Well, we'll check back with you on the next episode and let us know Italian or French. I almost sound like I'm asking someone to choose salad dressing. <laughs> it does sound like the salad dressing option. Uh, uh, so you can catch all of our episodes on carstuffshow.com. And I want to draw your attention ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the on-camera skills of Scott Benjamin and his voiceover work, both of which you can catch on Car Stuff uh, via our YouTube channel on HowStuffWorks.com. Oh, Ben, you're too kind. You're right there beside me. You're doing the same thing and uh, equally skilled. Ah, but you do the voiceovers, Ben. You've got the, and, and you've got the uh, interview skills. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it because uh, whew, if it were up to me, man, who knows how it would go. <laughs> it's uh, going to... Uh, a strange direction. <laughs> it would go in a straight, it would get so weird too quickly. Uh, anyhow, uh, thank goodness you're there to keep us from getting kicked out of museums, which was what would happen where I'd interview people. You can see Scott interview the curator of the Dream Cars exhibit. You can also see us hanging out with Ferraris and, uh, a Rolls Royce that didn't make it on camera, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we just visited that one privately. Yeah, we just hung out with that one. Yeah. Um, but check it out. Let us know what you think, and let us know what you would like to hear about in the future. You can contact us on Facebook. You can contact us on Twitter. You can always send us a good old-fashioned email. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. 
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.